welcome to another episode of Management Muse. I'm your host, Cindy Baldy, and this is my husband and co-host, Jeffrey Tumlin. Yellow! Welcome to the podcast where we try to inspire better work performance. Thanks for listening. Hello, Musers. Today is the first of three mini-episodes with Jefferson B. Cowell. Beak had a 37-year career in the Marines, with his last position being a lieutenant general. From there, he went on to become the director of the Johnson Space Center, and then a member of the faculty at the LBJ School at the University of Texas at Austin, which is where we met him. Today, he is going to share his story about facing and overcoming mutiny. Here's Beak out and an inside look at courage and compassion and leadership. So, welcome to the podcast, Beak. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here with you and with Cindy. Yeah, great. Well, could we start with uh, the first crisis that you faced, the mini-revolution, so to speak, that happened when you were in Squadron Command? Could you tell us a little bit about that, please, Big? Sure. I I think, uh, let me, you know, conditioned us with the statement, I, <clears throat> I'm not an expert on crisis, except for my experiences. Sure. And uh, these things did occur, and I, and, and in my estimation there are personal crises that happen to an individual and there can be organizational crises that are jeopardized or threaten the entire organization and of course if you're the leader of an organization that's hits a crisis then it's both personal and sure. organizational yeah. so I think, and so th- those kinds of things occurred to me along the way yeah. in my leadership roles I was very fortunate that I got to be a leader almost throughout my entire Marine Corps career as a platoon leader and then in squadrons. And uh, this happened when I was a squadron commander in the late 1970s. Uh, We were deployed to Japan. I had been, uh, this was a time, I don't know if you recall, in the uh, late 70s, there was a lot of unrest in the ranks of all the services, uh, a lot of issues with... uh, harassment, uh, racial tensions, and, and that kind of stuff going on. And uh, we had not, we didn't seem to have suffered that. I'd been the executive officer, number two in command of the squadron for a year, and we we were stationed in Hawaii, but we had deployed to Japan for six months to a place called Iwakuni, Japan. And while we were there, my commanding officer got a call to go to top-level school and so he had to leave, and uh, and I took command as a major of this fighter attack squadron, Marine Fighter Attack Squadron 212. So this this occurred. I'd been the executive officer of the squadron, sensing that uh, it wasn't the happiest place in the world, but yet it was functioning as a squadron. And and I I have to confess I I didn't have a clue of how much unrest there was in the ranks. Until in my second month of command, I had flown uh, with another with a wingman down to the Philippines, and we had done some inter-service uh, training with Air Force fighters down there and out of Cuby Point in the Philippines. And I came back you know, on a Sunday afternoon, and usually it's uh, you know the squadrons sort of at a limited duty. You're there's recovering aircraft from cross countries, but. The squadron has a day off on Sundays normally. And so when I uh, rode into the flight line, I noticed that my squadron executive officer, a fellow named Manfred Reich, 
who uh, he, he was sitting out there waiting for me and, uh, <laughs> and wondering uh, why, you know, Manfred, it's awful nice of him to come out of here, but uh, this is not a good sign. Right, right. And so I pull up, shut down the engines, uh, getting strapped out of the airplane, going through all those kind of procedures. And I finally, when I get down on the deck, uh, Manfred's there, and, and I say, hey, boy, XO, what's going on? What's up? He said, said, I just want to let you know that everything's all right. And I said, okay, tell me why everything is all right. Smart. And yeah. he said, well, <clears throat> Saturday evening, somebody slid all the tires on your car. I had a little wow. second-hand little Datsun that I bought over in Japan that I was using as my car. And it was just a heap, but it worked. But it didn't work when the tires were flat. <laughs> but he said, but don't worry. He said, we got them all fixed. The tires is up and up. You know, they, I've driven your car. It's, it's okay. And so everything's okay. I said, but uh, any clues of why this happened? He said, I, no. He said, I really don't know. I can't figure it out. I said, okay. Uh, the next day, Monday, we met. I met with all my department heads. And uh, they were the senior officers in charge of operations and maintenance and logistics and that kind of stuff in the squadron. Squadron had about 250 Marines. And, uh, of course, my senior enlisted man uh, was my sergeant major of my squadron. He was there, too, in the meeting. And I said, I like to, it's, apparently somebody's really upset, and i like to find out what's going on. Does anybody have any clues? And no one says any, you know, most of the guys give me a, Shrugging, right? They don't can't figure sure. it out either. Yeah. But Sergeant Major sitting there, with a stern look on his face. I said, Sergeant Major, you're you know you've got a concern about something. Tell me what it is. He said, said uh, uh, Major Howell. I was still a major then. He said, uh, your troops hate you. What? He said it like that. He said that. Wow. And he said, there's just they really, there's a, a hate for you flying through the squadron. And, uh, and that's going on. And I think that's what caused this to happen. Hello, management users. Today, I want to talk to you about executive team building. Our executive team building products help open the lines of communication. So you and your core leadership team can smartly talk and think through thorny issues. We offer multi-session packages aimed to open up the minds and the mouths of those around you. So email or call us today at ondemandleadership.com. How long had you been the squadron I'd commander? Been about a month and a half. And you were the XO before that? I'd been that. XO for a year prior to that. Wow. So it shows you, as a leader, I'd failed in that I was clueless of what the situation was. Yeah. And so uh, that sounds. I said, "Well, this, yeah. you know, we got to get to the bottom of this." And sure. so, so I told him, "I want to meet behind the hangar on the ball field. We had a ball field back there uh, with all the sergeants and below. I don't want to have any officers or staff NCOs who are your senior enlisted leaders there. I just want to meet with them and uh, talk to them and try to find out what's bothering them." And he said, you don't want to do that. The said, Sergeant Major did. Sergeant Major did. I said, really? so you I can't said, afford another four tires. Yeah, well, he, said, he said, they might kill you. What? 
he said that. I was I was quite surprised, quite shocked. And to the best of your recollections, so take me. I'd never run into anything like this before in my life. Right. And you didn't feel any animosity? No, I did not. And I and I I realized that if I didn't face up to this and, and with and get with them, sure. then I would, you know, I, I couldn't come to the bottom of it. I'd always you know, I was a former infantry officer, really believed in the chain of command and believed that my staff NCO should run things for the officers, and then when the things happen, you report up the line and down the line through the chain of command, and that's the way we should do things. And And I had not had buddy sessions with my troops since I'd been the CO. I just thought that that was overriding the authority of, of your staff NCOs if you did something like that. But I was wrong. I, I found out I was wrong about that. But that uh, I, I tell if if I don't meet with these uh, Marines, sure. I might as well just give up this command. Wow! So let's do this, and we'll see what comes out. And they tried to talk you out of it. He, the sergeant major, did. <laughs> and so I that afternoon uh, at one o'clock, uh, I met on the Bella Field behind a hangar with all my enlisted men who were available, and uh, there were we had about 150 Marines mm. there. And I had one officer with me, my adjutant, Dan Driscoll, uh, Naval Academy grad, who uh, I said, I want you to take notes. And I told them, hey, I'm, I'm meeting with you. You know, I think you probably all know that somebody slipped the tires on my car this weekend, and there was a little snickering in the in the mm. ranks, you know. And, wow. And, uh, and I said, but I want to find out. I said, it's, it's obvious somebody doesn't like me, and I think I'm a pretty nice guy, so I'd like to find out why. Yeah. And uh, there was silence. Wow. And I told him, I said, here's your chance. I said, I'm not taking names. I said, uh, Lieutenant Driscoll is going to uh, write down uh, comments and questions and that kind of thing. But yeah, so we gonna, can follow back up with it. you. Yeah, so I can yeah, follow yeah, yeah. up, but, right. but we're not going to take your names, and I want you to come clean with me, and let's get this out on the table. And... uh it sort of sullen silence. Finally, one brave soul raised his hands in the ranks and then said, I said, okay, start. What, what's up? He said, well, he said, you know, our former CO, when we had officer's call which or, or, or office call, which was a non-judicial punishment, said he always gave guys a break. He, he sort of let guys off even though they'd done something, gave them another chance. He said, you when when people uh, in the office hours you've held, you really nailed guys and find them and and found them when you found them guilty of something and you've imposed punishment upon them, and he we just don't think that's fair, given the old guy was you know so lax in that regard, and I said okay, uh, what else? And so now all of a sudden hands start popping up just like that, yeah, yeah. and and one after the other it's. It's rumors that uh, we, you know, we heard that you have requested that the squadron stay in Japan for another six months, and have requested that, and so we're going to have to extend here and not go back home. And I said, no, that's not true. And so we, they went through just a, a litany yeah. of issues that mostly were not true, were just untrue. And but it was it was obvious that all the people were pointing fingers at me saying. This commanding officer is bringing all this on. He's the cause of all this. Right. And uh, it was just obvious that, that, I mean, people were really upset. And I and when it was all said and done, 
I said, okay, I, I need to chase down these rumors. And they're all rumors. Uh, but uh, I said, it's obvious. I said, one thing I have to tell you, look you in the eye and tell you, I have failed you as your leader. I've let you down. And I'm going to try to fix that because half of what you told me is just not true. Yeah, those things that have not gone on, I have not said those things. And I, and I, but I said it, for instance, for office hours for non-judicial punishment, uh, I think you're all Marines. You know, I said, you're college age, most of you. If you were in college and, and came back to uh, the dormitory and broke down the door because you were drunk and uh, you would be, have to fix the door and they might kick you out of the dorm, I don't know. But uh, in the Marine Corps, there are rules against that kind of thing. And sure. You're, you know, we have punishments. We have fines and restrictions, and, and I believe in following that. I said, if you... You know, we're all in the Marine Corps together. We've all sworn the same things. And so uh, I expect you to act like Marines and like grown men and not like college boys. And so you have to understand this. And that's what I expect of you. And I think you should expect the same thing from me. And so there were sort of people, you know, who had had office hours recently sort of put their heads down and other people were sort of started glaring at them like, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, I said, I said, why? I said, if I didn't punish you for doing something wrong, why do you not do anything wrong? Right, right. Because it's, you, know, you can do anything you want to do then. And, uh, and I said, that, so that's why we have those rules. And uh, uh, you're expected to abide by them, and I expect that. And uh, as long as you're a Marine, I expect you to do that. And so, but I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to put track down all these grievances, hmm. try to find out what the source of them, because I'm telling you, this is BS, this is, B, you know, this yeah, is baloney. Right. Yeah. And uh, I never said that, I never said that, and right. we're not going to do that, and yeah, so right. that's all. But somebody's giving you bad poop, and I, and I need to find out what's going on, why this is causing. And I say, up until that time, I need you to agree with me that uh, you will do your duty and fix those airplanes and get them up so we can fly and do our job as a Marine fighter squadron. And, uh, and you've got to go with me on that. And I promise you, uh, two weeks from now, we will meet again and go over these things, and I'll try to have some answers for you. But I promise you, this is all a bunch of baloney and malarkey, so, and we'll try to get on track here. And, and so that's what I did. But when I went back... And confronted, yeah. Sorry, the major. He he just gave me sort of what I call the reserve salute, gave me a shrug his shoulders, <laughs> and said, "That's just all I knew." He said, "I don't know why, right. you know, uh, all that's going on." And uh, so I got with some of my uh, junior officers who knew the NCOs well. I found out with some pleading and, and questioning yeah. and yeah. asking guys that. There was a war going on in our squadron between a sergeant major who was a senior enlisted man and the maintenance chief who was the next senior enlisted man. Wow. And they didn't yeah. like each other, and right. they were at each other's throats, and the staff NCOs were sort of taking sides with who they supported. Sure. And the, that squabble had been going on for some time, and it came to a head when the, the, the uh, troops... Right. You know, reacted to it. They yeah. had, you know, because the OCO sort of had kept, you know, kept the lid on it, I guess. I, yeah. don't, I don't think he was aware that that was going on either. But uh, 
but it came to a head with me being there and being a stricter commander right. and expecting rules and regulations to be abided with. And so... Uh, right, the old kind of fault lines couldn't be held in place. Yeah. When you came in, yeah. that was enough of a disruption to where the two senior yeah, NCOs... I became, I became the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. You unified the company. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. unified yeah, against, against me. me. Yeah, right. And so... Uh, we actually carried on, and all this came out, and I finally, after several weeks, after finding out what was going on with my enlisted leadership, I called both of them into my office, and we had a, mm. uh, a very serious meeting mm. when I told them they were going to knock off at squabbling or else they would be fired from their jobs. Wow. And, oh, by the way, when we get back to Hawaii— you better have another job waiting for you. You guys know your way around. I do not want you in this squadron. Wow. With me. So you, you put you, you were going to put them out when yeah. you get back to Hawaii. And that was a that was a definite. You like, yeah, I oh. told them. This. Okay, so it wasn't like you behave or it was no. This no, is happening. I told, okay. They were way out of line. They were okay. senior guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should have known what they were doing, and they caused all this to go on. And so. Uh, but you a week later, them, I yeah. met with the troops again, yeah. and we went over all these grievances again. Sure. And I said, "Here's what you know. That's false. That's not going to happen. And, right. and no, we're not going to do that. And yes, we're leaving on time, yeah. and we're going to transfer back to Hawaii and live happy ever after. But we're going to be Marines, and we're you know." I said, "Here, you know, here's what I you should expect from me." And I, I talked about what I would do for them, and I said. Obviously, just like I told you a, a week ago, I've let you down, and I don't plan on doing that anymore. And so we are, will start on <clears throat> at least monthly mm. to meet, yep. and we'll have these sessions where you can just ra you know raise sure. your hand and tell me, and we will talk about it. And so, and then I, I will pass a word to you and make sure you're getting straight scoop. Yeah. And so that started. And by the time we left Japan, spirits were really feeling better. Up, feeling better, except we still had the old core there, you know, of troublemakers. Right, but you were going to cut them loose as soon yeah. as you got back to Hawaii. And we did. Oh. And did their behavior get worse because they knew they were getting no, cut loose? No, okay. they were they were chastised. Okay, all they right. Realized that they were out of line and probably felt victimized in some way, but they uh, yeah. they both knew they stepped out. Of line. But they're. Their deal was they needed to keep it straight or else you were going to fire them in Japan. Yes. If they could keep it straight enough and make it back to Hawaii, you'd let them find another job. Yes. Get out of your unit but not have their career wrecked. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. And okay. I, right. And that's what we did. Yeah. And when we got to Hawaii, they transferred out. Yeah. And I got in a new sergeant major who was fantastic. And, yeah. and we got a new maintenance chief out of our ranks who did a great job. Yeah. Rainier just did a fantastic job. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that was that led to these sessions that we continued the rest of the time I commanded that squadron for two smart. more years. Yeah, and uh, and they were very productive. Initially, they were gripe sessions. Sure, of course. Yeah, because they had gripes. Then after a yeah. while, it became suggestions for improving the way we did our work and the way tools, the kind of tools that they were short of, and we need more of these kind of wrenches so we don't have to go looking for them all the time and. And so I got into investing more in to uh, buying tools for my troops and, and making sure we had the right things and yeah. and 
fire extinguishers on the line so they didn't have to run down the line, get a fire extinguisher, and bring it back when you start up an airplane. We have more fire extinguishers available. You know, just those simple things. Yeah. And the sure. troops all had those suggestions, and yet no one had done anything to improve any of that. Yeah. And we got that going. Yeah. And so by the time we got back to Hawaii, uh, spirits were really up. And the next year were just incredible. They're in Hawaii. We got in brand new airplanes and went through an issue with that because uh, they had problems in them. But we got through that, and then we deployed back to Japan. And we were considered, I can honestly say, the best squadron in that air group in Japan. That's amazing. From them slitting your tires yeah, and yeah. wanting to kill you. <laughs> and, so, and to this day, I you know, like, this is 30 years yeah, later. Yeah, sure. Uh, we are still, that squadron, even though we weren't in combat together, hmm. Uh, they still have uh, reunions every two or three years, and we get hundreds of wow. people come to them. Amazing. And they love it. There's a, it's a big love in, and people praise me, and then I have to remind them, hey, hey you were cutting my, my tires. I bring that up because I say, yeah. hey, you know, I had failed you, and sure. you let me redeem myself, and I appreciate that very much. But you redeemed yourselves too and became fantastic Marines. And, uh, Hello, management musers. Today, I want to tell you a little something about our coaching products. If Lady Gaga and LeBron James both have coaches, why shouldn't you? We offer a variety of packages, all the way from a 12-session package aimed to help you build your management muscle to a two-session package aimed to help you think through sticky issues and provide you with a second opinion. All our coaches have doctorates in the social sciences and years of real-world experience in business. So stop questioning yourself and pull the trigger. You're worth it. For more information, contact us at culture.com. That's C-U-L-S-U-R-E.com. That behavior of the, the continual meeting them in communication, did that transfer into other positions and I other groups? That, I took that with me. Yeah. Now, when you know, later on, it went after having squadron command, I ended up in top-level school and then at headquarters Marine Corps. But uh, when I got back to the fleet and was a group commander, I, would, I didn't really have trooper meetings that much because my squadron commanders did that kind of stuff. I encouraged them yeah. to do that sort of thing. But I would have officers meetings with our junior officers, and uh, we'd have long sessions together and, and do that. You know, I realized, you know, it's one of the principles of leadership is to communicate with your people, make sure they have good communications. And uh, I strive to do that. I found out that there's never enough. Sure. You never communicate enough, yeah. but you have to keep trying. Yeah. I, I agree with that. that. That seems like that's a perennial problem. But. It's like the John Cotter from... Uh, the change literature talks about change messages are under-communicated by seven sure. times. Yeah, This yeah. wasn't even change. This was just... Yeah, regular, just a regular kind of keeping them... I mean, yeah. we've had some CEOs who, um, because of their personality, didn't walk around. And so... Yeah. And, and people literally didn't even know what they looked like because yeah. they were newer. Makes, makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. How... But on that note, on the fact that, like, you can't communicate enough you know 
did you just segment so you were only talking to sort of the people behind you, the junior leaders, and then relied on them to communicate the rest? Or did you do things to still mingle with sort of all levels? I try to approach all levels when I communicate my intent and my, you know, my ideas and talk about how we should do things. I, I, I try to say, hey, we're all in this together. Sure. But uh, I have to admit, when I was a, uh, the center director of the Johnson Space Center, most of the meetings I had with people were with my department heads and the heads of my different uh, units there, you know, space shuttle program, the International Space Station, that kind of thing. But I would have regular, I, I just, uh, I found out we had an inner circuit television there at the Johnson Space Center that had not hardly been used at all. And so I would have monthly sessions with a, a person to question me about what was going on and to talk about current events and what we were doing and what was going on and continue that kind of trying to communicate and even when I give leadership lessons now uh, with the uh, governor's sure. executive development yeah. program and everything I, I always ask the managers and leaders in the room I said how many of you think that you communicate well with your people and you'll get you know sure. yeah. up. and I said you're all wrong <laughs> I said nobody communicates enough. yeah you really don't yeah but you have to strive for it sure yeah, it's, it's a, a goal. continuous aspirational goal, a continuous uh, uh, striving to get the word out and to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Well, it's even worse now because it's like there's so many different channels of communication. Yes. And, yes. you know, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that at a university when the president would continually write, I would just delete those emails, you know, because it was like... That's Always. typical faculty right yeah, that's there. Right yeah. That's right. Hey, delete, I wasn't the delete. only one doing it. That's right. I'll be typical here when faculty. He's gone. That's right. <laughs> and that was uh, I found that at Johnson Space Center. There was there were the right. old delete, old delete. Yeah. there that hey, this guy yes, is he'll be here for a few years. Night. That's and, right. I've worked but, it. Yeah. Uh, I think we got some things done there. But, yeah. Uh, the Cindy and I talk a lot about in crisis, which was embedded in your in your story from the squadron command, we talk about there's an urge as soon as you find out, oh my God, something's happening and it's terrible that you want to run out and say things to make it better. Yeah. But you actually have this whole set of problems to work. Like you, so you, you have to be doing two things. You have yeah. to be working the crisis and then you have to be doing the emotional communicative behaviors. Exactly. To help people feel like it's not as bad as we think, we're going to figure out our way yeah. through this. Well, and, and I think it's also really hard when you have that much animosity because we've had leaders before, and they're good. They're good people. They're good leaders, generally speaking. And their groups became angry, and there was like an animosity, and so they just stopped the meetings. Yeah, and that's a big mistake. Right. right. You. You leaned into the pain, so to speak. Well, I had to, I had to do that. I felt compelled. Otherwise, what, you weren't going to have any tires. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he, like he, like Big said, look, if I don't do this, I might as well give up my right. squadron command. That's correct. And so it's the right. But I mean, that couldn't have felt good to be basically Going a month and a half to, into to your command. It was. Uh, I had. To, I tell you, it was an interesting. It's humbling. 
uh, walk out to that group out in that baseball so. field uh, oh. <clears throat> that day uh, because I just didn't, you know, I'm still puzzled about what was going on. At the same time, it was obvious Something. those guys were really upset with yeah. me. And I guess, I mean, the surprising part to me is that you didn't feel it because, you know, you are, you know, usually pretty perceptive. But I guess it was just that hierarchy. It just blocked it off. I, I, I am still embarrassed about not yeah. realizing yeah. what was going on in that squadron between my senior staff and COs. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you said, you, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Big, but I mean, he, when, when I heard you a couple times apologize and say to the soldiers, I failed you, that's what I thought you were apologizing for, that I failed you because I didn't see this. Yes. And I should have somehow, seen this before it bubbled over. Plus I didn't yeah. communicate well with him. I didn't and I and right. I realized I yeah. needed to do that better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was a it was a learning experience. You find that out as a leader it every day as a leader is a learning experience and sure. if you don't keep learning you're in trouble. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about the topic, check out our show notes. And if you want to help us out, like, share, subscribe, and five stars are all deeply appreciated. See you next time on The Management Muse.